All right. So, um, basically, I I just want to say thank you guys for allowing me to teach and, and share uh, thank you. in your lives and stuff. I mean, I, I love teaching guys from the house. Uh, um, that's one of the main, or not one of the main reasons, but that's for us like icing on the cake to, to coming to Freedom House is that when we get opportunities to speak into the, you guys' lives and everything. So, so for us, I mean, it's just a, a major blessing and, and, um, yeah, so, um, I just want to say thanks for that. And, uh, I thought that, uh, given the time that we have, I don't know how many times we'll be able to share or whatever and stuff like that, yeah. but I, I figured that like we could do kind of a series on men of God and, and what the characteristics of biblical men of God were and what, what it is to be men of God. Because um, if you look at the world around us, our world is in big, big trouble, right? right? I mean, sin is rampant. Um, more people are leaving the church than are joining the church. Um, and even a lot of the churches that you go to are just are nothing but basically social clubs, right? And there's not a lot of, of the move of the Spirit. There's not a lot of people getting set free. There's not a lot of the Lord just really speaking into people's lives. And so the result of that is, is the world, when they look at the church, what they see is a bunch of hypocrites, right? They see something that they don't want to be a part of because it, it, it's, it, to them it's not real. To them it's a sham, you know? And even if you turn on the television and you see some of these the television preachers and they're always asking for money and they're like, well, we'll do a miracle for in exchange for, you know, you know, some seed blessing and stuff like that. And I'm not saying that all of that's bad or whatever, but, and, and, and then a lot of churches are, are, have become so seeker friendly that there's no room for truth, right? And one thing about Jesus and one thing about when you begin to read the Bible and read about people in the Bible is that they were men of truth, men who would speak the truth to their generation. And so to me, when I look around, I see that the biggest need of this generation, the biggest need of our times is for men of God, right? Because even a lot of times in churches, in, a, in family relationships, a lot of times it's the wife that drags her husband to church, right? The husband only goes to church on Sundays because his wife makes him go. And, and you know, we're, we're kind of sheltered here in Freedom Church or whatever because, it, because of the house and because so many of the people in that are, obvi are obviously men, right? And so because of that, they go to Freedom Church, they go to Freedom House and stuff. And so, but that's really kind of a rarity. If you go to most churches in America, it's going to be like 60% women and the guys that are there are there because their wives made them come. And so what God is speaking to this generation, God has, God created Adam first, right? God created men to be leaders. God created men to lead this generation, to lead their generation, to lead the society that they're in. And we as men have kind of given that role over to the women. Well, you know, that church stuff is, is cool for, you know, these guys, but, you know, I'm too manly for that sort of thing, right? I'm too cool for that Christianity thing. And so because of that, um, society is invading the church and the church is being changed rather than the church invading society and society being changed. 
And God is wanting to raise up men of God in this time to begin to lead and to begin to change. Because men are warriors, right? Men are designed. We are all fighters. And that's the problem with us. Most of us that have come to Freedom House is we were fighting things in the wrong area, right? We were fighting things the wrong way. We're fighting through our temper. We're fighting through our anger. We're fighting through our pride. And stuff. And God has designed us to be warriors. God has designed us to be fighters, but we've gotten it all backwards. We're fighting physical fights when God has called us to fight spiritual fight battles. Does that make sense? Our battles are not against flesh and blood. Our battles are against principalities and powers and dark forces of this spiritual world and stuff. And so, um, so God is wanting to raise up men to begin to take that battle to the enemy. He's wanting to raise up men that will begin to lead their families. And so it's no longer the wives trying to lead their men to the church. It's no longer their wives trying to lead men to Bible studies. No longer the wives trying to lead men to prayer. No longer the wives trying to get men to lead them. See, the, the thing is, is it's not the wife's place to lead the family spiritually. Right? It's the man's place to lead the family spiritually. The problem is, is that we're giving that over. And so, and again, we have this wrong conception in our minds that to be tough, to be a warrior, to be a fighter means to be someone that, that you know, that smokes weed or drinks and gets drunk and chases women and, and, you know, and cusses and all these things. And we think that this is what a man is, and that's because we have been conditioned by the world to think that this is what a man is. And so hopefully during this series, we're going to look at men Men who were warriors like David, men who were mighty men of God, who did exploits, who did mighty things. David faced an eight-foot giant when he was just a boy. When he was a teenager, he went out and he faced a giant and he killed him. And he said, before I faced the giant, I faced a lion and I faced a bear and stuff. And so, uh, and, 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 the, and the thing is about Christianity is, is again, in Christianity, we're taught that Christianity means being nice, right? Christianity means just being nice and meek and doing nice things. And there is a part of that, all right? Because if we are believers, if the Holy Spirit lives in us, God has called us to live in love. And that is the main thing that God has called us to do. But as people who are filled with love, if you love your family, if someone breaks into your house and is trying to hurt them, you are going to destroy that person, right? Because that is the way God designed us. Well, we live in a world, we live in a society that is being ravaged by the powers of darkness. Guns to schools. Drugs are rampant in school. And it's all because we've gotten rid of Jesus. Right? And now we're saying, well, where's the solution? You know, and, and every time something happens, the media's like, what are we going to do to change this situation? Well, it's because you chased God out that the reason that the situation is the way it is. And so basically, we have a generation that is no longer seeking God. And if you turn to generation, or Genesis chapter 4, we all know the story in Genesis of Adam and Eve, right? How they sinned against God and God kicked them out of the Garden of Eden. And it talks about in Genesis that how Adam lived for 900 years. Yeah. And his, wow. his, his sons lived for like 800 years and stuff. And so these guys lived a long time. They had children. Their children had children. I mean, imagine how many kids you can have in 800 years. And what was the first thing that God told them to do when he created Adam and Eve? He said, be fruitful and multiply. 
So these guys are having children. These guys are spreading influence throughout the world, right? They're, they're, they're doing what God has called them to do. They are filling the earth. And look at this in Genesis 4, verse 26. Because I, I, I was thinking about this scripture today, and it just really struck me how odd it sounds. Verse 36. No, verse 26. 26. Yeah. It says, to Seth, Seth, Seth was Adam's son. To him also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. Look at this right here. It says, then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. Yeah, You see that? Isn't that, a, isn't that a weird verse when right. you just first read it? How much is left out, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so, uh, so you ask yourself, well, what was going on? Did Adam and not Eve not teach their children about the Lord? Because, I mean, they loved God, right? And, and, and from what we can see, even though God made them leave the Garden of Eden, it still seems like they still loved the Lord and stuff. But somewhere along the line... Um, their descendants stopped following the Lord. Their descendants stopped seeking God until, until Enosh was born. And it says, then men begin to call upon the name of the Lord. And the thing about that is, is when it talks about men calling upon the name of the Lord, it doesn't mean that, it doesn't mean that, that they just went to church on Sunday, right? Or they just kind of had this religious thing with God, but then they lived throughout the rest of the week any way that they wanted to live. When it talks about men beginning to call upon the name of the Lord, these men were serious about following the Lord. They wanted to know who God is, who God was. Anytime the Bible talks about people calling upon the name of the Lord, it's a people that are, that are, that are wanting to know God. They're not in it for, uh, for religion. They're not in it to ease their consciences. They're not in it to, to kind of do this two-faced thing where we live in the church and with this foot and we live in the world with this foot, they were serious about following the Lord. And so, again, God right now, I believe, is looking for men to begin to call upon him again. Not, again, to just do religious things, not to put on the outward appearance, not to be nice people. And again, we are to be nice people. But when it comes against, when it comes to the powers of darkness, God wants to raise up an army that will fight against the powers of darkness. That's what Jesus came, right? Jesus said, I came to destroy the works of Satan. And, and I look at my life and I'm like, how am I destroying the works of Satan, right? Because if we're going to be like Jesus, we've got to do what Jesus did, right? And his purpose, his reason for being was to destroy the works of Satan. That's what God sent him here for. I mean, sure, it was for our salvation. It was to, to set us free and all that. But what was all that for but to destroy the works of Satan? Right? Because in the Garden of Eden, Satan deceived Adam and Eve, and basically he, he plunged us into darkness. Right? And so Jesus, when he came, he came to set all of that right. Okay? And so we as believers, if we are going to truly follow God, we have to be doing that as well. Because that's what he's called us for. A lot of times we get saved, a lot of times we get delivered, and um, for those of us that are... And, I just want you guys to know, one of the things that we like about Freedom House is just seeing, just like you were talking about, the stories of people getting delivered, people getting set free, people whose lives are just plunging down into darkness and them getting set free and them getting delivered and stuff. And the reason why that appeals so much to us is because we were there too, right? 
And, and that's the thing. I think that people at the, at the house or people who are in the program think that people that are outside, you know, maybe look down on them or whatever. But it's not like that at all. Because even though I may not have been addicted to drugs, I've been addicted to sin. Right? And that's the thing is we're all sinners. We have all been spiraling down, whether in one form or another. And it's Jesus, when Jesus lifted us out, out of that. And so the reason that we love Freedom House is because we get to see that on a regular basis. We get to see God still in the process of delivering people and stuff. And um, so... Um, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Gonna ju just kind of look at some verses about um, what God has created man to be. Again, God created man. And see, the thing about the Garden of Eden is God created man first, right? And then he created Eve. And then Satan came to Eve and tempted her, right? Now, and then what happened after that? Eve offered the fruit to Adam. Right? And Adam took the fruit. Right? See, as the leader, as the man, Adam at that point should have said, no, we're not going to do this. Right? And so that's why Adam is in trouble. That's why Adam is held responsible for the fall. That's why Adam is held responsible for, for all the sin that's followed. Because as the leader... And I'm not talking about that men are way up here and women are down here at all. Men and women are equal, but men are given the responsibility to lead, right? And just like it says, with, with great leadership is, is great responsibility, right? And so the reason why Adam is judged is because instead of stopping it, instead of seeing that Eve was being betrayed, Eve was being led astray, instead of saying, no, we're not going to do that, he partook in it, Okay? And so in Ephesians 5, verse 22, look at it. it says, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. Look at this. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. And again, I, I don't believe this. Is like we, were, we actually went to a church where it's like, Husband, you got to make your wife submit to you. Right? You are the man, you wear the pants, you make that woman do whatever you want to do. That's not what it's talking about, okay? Because it also says in another place, submit to each other. And so there's times like, say, say just theoretically, my wife knows more about keeping a house than I do, right? She knows more about that stuff. She knows more about our finances than I do. So why am I going to try to control that, right? She is gifted in those areas. She is better in those areas. So I'm going to let her be in charge of that, right? So this whole thing about submission is a mutual submission. And it also says, while it does say that wives are supposed to submit to their husbands, it says husbands are supposed to love their wives like Christ loved the church. And what did, how did Christ love the church? He put a towel around his waist and he bent down and he served. Right? And so this whole thing of, of, of the husband being the head and the husband uh, and the wife submitting, it's not anything about dominance. It's not anything about control. As a matter of fact, it's the opposite. It's about serving. But again, it comes to in every kind of relationship, in a church, in a business, and in any kind of situation where there's any kind of authority, someone has to be the final answer, right? Someone has to be responsible. Like um, if, if, if your business screwed, like even in the tire shop where I work, 
If I if a tire leaves my tire shop and a and a wheel falls off of it and someone gets killed, somebody's responsible for that. And it's going to be the manager that's in charge of the tire shop, right? Why? Because he's the one that's the head, right? He's the one that's in the authority, so he is the final uh, responsibility for what happens, for what comes in and out of that shop, right? And so that's the way God looks at men. He says, you, I have put you in this place of authority, not to wield authority, not to be, uh, to set yourself up as anything, not to be filled with pride, but to be a servant. And with this authority comes great responsibility. And in verse, um, verse, verse 25 again, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Look at this in 28. So husbands ought also to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. You see that? So again, it's not, about, it's not about making your wife submit to you. It's not about, look, I'm the authority and you're not and you're going to obey me. It's not anything about that at all. It's seeing your, that person's best interest and saying, I am going to serve you. I'm going to lead my family in a godly way. I'm going to, I'm going to uh, be, in, and, and the thing is, is it comes down to be an example, right? Because you cannot, biblical leadership is not saying, look, I want you to be something that I'm not. Biblical leadership is not saying, I want you to, to walk this way, to do these things, and I want you to scrub the floor and do all these things, and things that you're not willing to see. That's what the Pharisees did, right? It says that you tie up all these burdens, and you put these burdens on people, but you're not willing to lift a finger to help them. And see, that's what religion does, but true Christianity bends down to serve and says, what can I do to bring you to this place? All right, and so again, that's. Uh, but but the point being is that God looks at the man as the leader in the role and stuff. And God has created men once again to be leaders. And so, what are we going to do with that leadership, right? Um, turn to Judges chapter four. Are you guys tracking? Is this making oh, yeah. Yeah, sense? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Some leadership in my life. And we don't, we do, right? Even even among men, there's there's leadership, right? Even our pastors and, and the people that are over us and stuff like that. And and it's and it's only and you know there we. It's like someone once said, "You cannot lead people unless you've learned to follow." Yeah. Right. Yeah. There was a quote that I got from a sermon. I might have mentioned it here. I'm not sure if that was the night you were here, but. Um, it was uh, Stephen Furtick he said that I think that somebody had told him this or maybe this is something he, he said himself but that you want, God will never place you over the things that you are intended to be over until you are able to be under that which he has placed over you and so yeah it was like this kind of cool little saying about just you know, not being ready the only way that you're ready to stand over things is to have the ability to stand under things, that's stand good. under authority. And, uh, I thought that was yeah. good. And that's the thing. Worldly leadership is like from the top down, right? Yeah, the yeah. leader's on top. Everybody that's else exactly is below the them and serves them. Yeah. Exactly. In, a, in yeah. the kingdom of God, it is the complete opposite. Jesus was the servant of all. The servant. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly, and stuff. And so, until if if we are unwilling to submit, if we are unwilling to yield our stubbornness, if we and and there's a, there is a balance because obviously we we don't we don't do things that we disagree that that are biblically that we disagree with biblically, right? Right. Okay. So, like I again, when it comes to the husband wife thing, we we knew of a relationship one time. Where, where these people were under this, the husband is the man and the wife submits to the man and stuff. And the husband was wanting his wife to watch porn with him and stuff. And, and I'm like, no. Right? This is the place where you say no. Because if I do this, this is sin. And we our first relationship is to God, and then it's to our leaders, right? And so we're to submit to our leaders as we submit to Christ. Well, Christ is not going to have us watch porn, right? And so, so if if it's not against Christ, if it's not, then then it is our place to submit. You know, that's why the Bible over and over talks about men submit to those over you and stuff. Even submit to ungodly leadership, uh, governments, and stuff like that. Unless, of course, they start telling you to turn away from Christ or whatever and stuff. And so. Uh, we learn again how to lead by submitting and by laying down our lives because that can, that causes us to have empathy, right? I mean, we all know the demanding leaders that don't understand the things that we're going through. That they're like, "I want you to do this because I told you to," and stuff. But again, Christian leadership says, "I've done it first, and let me show you how to do it, and then you you example it and you model it, right?" Uh, in Jude or Judges chapter four. Now, if in the time of the judges, the time of the judges was, was um, um, after Joshua had taken the people into the promised land and stuff, and this is before they had kings, right? And so it talks about there were seven judges, and the judges were essentially like the prime minister of the country, right? It was people, it was godly people that God would raise up. What would happen is there was this pattern. Um, the people would fall, the, the Israelites would fall into sin, and because they sinned against the Lord, the Lord would allow them to be um, um, defeated, dominated, and taken over by, say, for instance, the Philistines, or by another country. So, does that make sense? And God told them over and over in, in the book of Genesis and Exodus, look, as long as you follow me, as long as you obey me, I will save you from your enemies, and I will destroy your enemies. Not only that, when they were going into the promised land, he told Joshua, as long as you guys follow me, as long as you obey my word, as long as you uh, do my will, there will be no enemy that can stand against you, right? And so, and he told Joshua, every place that the sole of your foot treads, I've already given it to you. All, and then, and then uh, you guys know the stories, he, so what, they go, and the first city that they come against is Jericho, right? So they march against Jericho seven days and it falls, right? The next city that they came against was a city called Ai. Now, Jericho was a big, important city filled with a lot of people, a lot of warriors, a lot of important people and stuff, heavily armed, heavily guarded and stuff like that. And so they defeat Jericho easy, right? Just by marching against it and stuff. And, and they, the seventh day, they march against it, blow horns, and the walls fall down, and they go in and, and just wipe them out. The second city they come to is a tiny little town called Ai. And it's just really insignificant, really nothing and stuff. And, and they go against Ai and get totally defeated. And so Joshua begins to cry out to the Lord. And the Lord says, it's because there's sin in the camp. 
And the Lord says, you deal with the sin, and I will defeat your enemies for you. And so again, it was because of their sins. So we come to the book of Judges. In the book of Judges, if you read it over and over, it talks about how like God would raise up a judge for them. And the judge would lead them in, in war and in battle against their enemies, right? And, and so during the lifetime of that judge, they would be good. They would prosper. They would be free from their enemies and stuff. But then it, it, it says over and over in the book of the Judges, after that judge died, the people would go back to their sins. They would go back to their idols, and then they would be defeated. And so that's where we are in Judges chapter 4. And in verse 1, it says, Then the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud, which was the judge before, died. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. And the commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harasheth, Hegoyim. The sons of Israel cried to, and this is why, and this happens with us a lot, right? Like we, we kind of live willfully. We kind of do our own thing. Lord, you know, I'm just going to do my own thing, you know, and stuff. I, you know, I'm going to, I'm just going to practice just a little bit of sin. Not a lot, you know, just a little bit. I'm, I'm still going to go to church. I'm still going to sing in the choir. I'm still going to do, you know, all these things. I'm going to help old ladies and stuff like that. And stuff. And it's like, but then God allows us to get caught in our bondage, right? And then what happens then? We begin to cry out to the Lord seriously then, right? Lord, where are you? God, come help me. Come set me free. And unfortunately, that's the way we are as human beings and stuff. And this is the thing that separates um, people who do the church thing from men of God. Men of God don't do the falling into the sin, crying out, falling into the sin, crying out, and God delivering them. Men of God set it in their minds that, look, these things that bound me, these things that held me down, these things that destroyed my life are not going to do it anymore. I'm not going to live like that anymore. I'm not going to go back to wallowing in the pigsty. I'm not going to go back to my sins. I'm going to walk over them and be free from them once and for all. And this, by the way, is true repentance. Biblical repentance doesn't say, you know, you know, and that's the thing, you know, and a lot of times we kind of blame it on God. It's like, God, why didn't you set me free from that? God, and the thing is, is why do we sin? We sin because we want to, Right? We sin because we like to sin. I know I do. And, I, and I'm, here I'm not talking about like addictions to like drugs or anything like that. But why do we get into addicted to drugs? Because we like that drug, right? And so, and that's the nature of sin is, is like the first time you try it, it's like, okay, I, you know, I can walk away from that. But then you do it again. It's like, oh, I, I can walk away from that. And then it, it starts getting a hold on you. It starts getting a stronghold in your heart. And that can be drugs. It can be women. It can be, um, it can be anything. It can be anger. It can be hatred. It can be um, uh, prejudice. It can be anything. It can be gossip and stuff. And, and, and that's the thing is that is the nature of sin is that at first it's like, oh, it's something that you can take or leave. But you, you know, it's like, and that's called, that's what Adam and Eve did when they ate off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Does that make sense? You see this fruit and you're like, wow, I wonder what that's like. Man, that looks like that tastes pretty good, right? Instead of saying, that's from Satan, I'm not going to eat it, I'm not going to partake of it because I know that it's a trap. 
I know that it's something designed by Satan to ensnare me, to put me in chains. And they may be gold chains with diamonds and sparklies all over them, but they're still chains, right? And so that's the nature of sin. And so when, when, when God begins this progression, and that's the thing with us in this house itself, is God, why are you here? You are not here just to be delivered from your stuff. You're not here just to be set free from the things that bound you. You are here for a complete and total reformation, a complete and total transformation to where you are not the person you once were. Now, you once you lived for the world, you lived for the things of this life that are fading away, you lived for you know, these things that look shiny, these things that look like they taste good, these things that look like they'd be good for your flesh. But now you've made up your mind that I'm not going to live like that anymore. And now that's when God begins to speak to your spirit and say, okay, what's your calling? What's your purpose? What have I created you for? Right? Because God has a calling and a purpose on each one of us, but we will not fulfill that calling and purpose if we're, if we're half in and half out, if we're undecided, if we're like, well, I still like that fruit, though, you know? It's only when we cut it off, when we draw the line in the sand and say, this is as far as I'm going to go, that's when God begins to truly move in our hearts. And I know what it's like. I've been in ministry before and had a secret porn addiction and stuff. And God brought that down and said, look, you're not going to be a priest. You are not going to minister in my name and, and, and practice garbage. Because God... I mean, you can do that in religion, you can do that in churchianity, but if you are truly going to follow the Lord, if you're truly going to be a man of God, God's not going to play that. God's going to say, I want a holy, a pure, a clean vessel. And with that holy, clean, pure vessel, God can do awesome things. And that's what his purpose is. That's what his desire is. So Judges chapter 4, verse 1. And again, we're talking about just men leading Verse 1, it says, Then the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who ruled, reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harasheth Hagoyim. The sons of Israel cried out to the Lord, for he had 900 iron chariots, and he oppressed the sons of Israel severely for 20 years. Now again, if you've been under a bondage to a drug, if you've been under a bondage of addiction, you know what these 900 chariots is like. Right? And again, we've all been under bondage to sin. We've all come to that point, hopefully, where we cried out to the Lord and say, I am being oppressed. I am, I am overwhelmed by this sin that I don't have the power to break myself. And that's when God comes and he delivers us, right? It says in verse 4, Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. Now I think this is very interesting. And that, uh, again, there, there are churches that say, well, women can't teach, women can't do anything, women can't. Guys, if a woman has a word from the Lord from you, and she truly walks with the Lord, and she speaks something into your life, you need to listen to what she says, right? I don't care if she's a woman, I don't care if it's a kid. Uh, the, the Bible talks about in, in how Balaam, the Lord used a, a jackass to speak to him. So I don't care who it is that God brings a word from the Lord to you. We need, we need to humble ourselves, right? And so, but again, God, 
God has many times used women in the church, has used women to do mighty things. There were prophetesses in the Old Testament. There were prophetesses in the New Testament. Yeah. So just because it's a woman does not disqualify her from, from being used by God. Now, I will say that I believe that it's God's ultimate desire to raise up men. And we'll see that in this story. Verse 5, Deborah used to sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the sons of Israel came up to her for judgment. In other words, they'd come up to her and I need a word from the Lord and she'd give them a word from the Lord. So. Now she sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kedesh Naphtali and said to him, Behold, the Lord, the God of Israel, has commanded, Go and march to Mount Tabor and take with you 10,000 men from the sons of Naphtali and from the sons of Zebulun. I will draw out to you Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and as many troops to the river Kishon, and I will give him into your hand. So Deborah's given this man this word of the Lord. She's saying, look, go get you an army together. Go out against these, the, the, um, the Canaanites at, at this one place, and God's going to give them into your hand. Look at the next verse. Verse 8 says, Then Barak said to her, If you will go with me, then I will go. But if you, not, if you will not go with me, I will not go. So again, he... He's, he's not wanting to take his position, right? And again, that's the way we are a lot of times. God has called us to be more than just pew sitters. God has called us to, just, just to be more than just people that go to church. God wants us as men to lead this generation. And I'm not saying that that's going to be in a big way. You might not be a pastor, an evangelist, a teacher, a prophet, or any of those things. You may be, your gift may be in helps. Your gift may be in service. Your gift may be in... Um, who knows, right? But whatever your gift is, the Bible says, do it with all your heart, right? And, and so um, look at verse 9. He says, she said, I will surely go out, go out with you. Nevertheless, the honor of defeating the enemies will not be yours on the journey that you are about to take. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hands of a woman. You see that? And so if you, if you read the story further, um, it talks about his, how Sisera fled from the armies of Israel and he went, uh, a woman named Jael had him go into her tent and she kind of gave him some milk and he fell asleep because you've been fighting all day, you're tired, right? And so while he was sleeping, she drove a, a tent peg into his skull and stuff. So, so, but the point is, is that God had called Barak to lead the armies of Israel. God, had, God didn't tell him, look, I want you to follow this woman. He says, I've called you, Barak, to lead the armies of Israel. And so, God, again, God has called each one of us. When God calls us, we need to drop our excuses of why we can't do this and, or, or our fears even. Because if, if you're like me and all your life you've been told you can't do this or you're, you're, you're incapable of, of whatever, and we've all been like that, right? A lot of us come from broken families where our families were just whacked. And stuff, and, and we've lived under this all of our lives. Is that you're not called for anything? You're not meant for anything. You you're just you know you just go in the corner. Like I I remember in school, you know, I was always small, right? I was always the last guy chosen for the basketball team or for the volleyball team or whatever and stuff. And and that that stays with you, right? Yeah. And stuff. But God looks at each one of us and says, I don't care what your past has told you. I don't care what you've fallen into. I don't care the problems that you've faced. I don't care about any of that. If you will follow me, I will make you what you're supposed to be, right? 
and I will make you triumph over the enemies. And, stuff. and again, like that may not look like a big thing. It may not look huge and stuff like that, but it will be doing what God has called you to do. And again, each one of us have callings, have giftings from the Lord. And, and only spending time in His presence will tell you what that is, right? But we as men need to find out what is your calling on my life? What have you called me to do? What is your giftings on my life? And it's only as you step out in faith, like, um, like because I've had to work lately and stuff, Amy's been teaching the Bible study and, and she's always kind of had this suspicion that, well, maybe God's called me to teach and stuff, but she's always been kind of afraid. Yeah. So she was kind of forced into it mm -hmm. and she's done it and she did it pretty good. She did it pretty well, you know, and stuff. And that's the thing, you know, it, that's the thing. When God begins to call us, we have these voices and stuff. You have the voice of Satan saying, you can't do that. You know, who do you think you are, you know, and stuff like that. And, and it's like, but, but if you will just begin to obey the voice, you'll begin to step out and, and God will catch you. And you'll, and, you'll, and you'll say, oh my God, what just happened there, you know? And you'll do, do what God's called you to do, and then you will know fulfillment. Then you will know, man, this is what it's all about, right? So many people in the world looking for love in all the wrong places, looking for it in this drug and this thing, and all these things that don't satisfy because we're looking for that thing that God has called us for. And when you find the thing that God has called you for, then pursue it with all your heart, right? Lay aside everything else and just follow that. Um, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. And the problem is that even as, un as believers, a lot of times we're divided. A lot of times we're, we're caught up in so many things, like Mary and Martha. Y'all know the story of Mary and Martha, right? Yeah. Yeah. How, how one of them was, how Mary was serving the Lord. And Lord, why don't you make Martha serve too, you know, and stuff. And he's like, or I think it's the opposite. Martha was serving and stuff. And Jesus says, she's picked the good thing. She has picked the better thing is to sit at the feet of the Lord. And so many times, even in ministry, you can get caught up doing ministry and lose God in that. We can get caught up in like, well, I've got to do this. I've got to, I've got to preach. I've got to, I've got to witness. I've got to, I've got to, uh, I've got to counsel with these people and stuff. And you can get so caught up in ministry as a thing that you lose God in it and stuff. And the thing is, is the whole, the whole thing, but basically the whole thing is relationship, right? The whole thing is just getting plugged into the Lord and following him wherever he goes. Where are you leading now, Lord? Where do you want me? Because that's the thing. God will lead us. That's what the whole reason why he sent his Holy Spirit to come and dwell in us so that he could begin to lead us just like he led Jesus, right? Jesus said, I don't speak anything. I don't do anything that my Father's not telling me to do. And that's the thing. The Holy Spirit will begin to lead us and guide us, but it's as we begin to devote ourselves fully to him and give him all of our hearts and, and, and not hold anything back, right? In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. This is Paul speaking to Timothy. He says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men 
who will also be able to teach others. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Look at this in verse 4. It says, No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life. Why? So that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. And again, so many times, and I know I have to fight that. You know, you, you, um, you work all day, you know, you come home, you're tired, you sit there in front of the television and just veg and stuff like that. And it's like, it's so easy to get caught up in doing things that will not last. We've got one life, right? In this life, I don't care if you live to be 120 years old or 800 years or 900 years like those guys did. Imagine, imagine those guys at your 900th year, you know, and now you're about to die. I don't care if it's 900 years. It's still past like, like it was just a blink of an eye, right? And that's the thing. We've, we've got one life to live. How are we going to live it? I, I notice myself, I get so caught up in doing unimportant, irrelevant things. And I'm not talking about just doing things to win our salvation or doing things to make ourselves feel good or anything. I'm not saying that at all. Because uh, in the first place, we can't win our salvation, right? Christ has already done that. And some, you know, some people need to learn to rest in that and to rest in the fact that it, he yeah. saved me. He delivered me. And now everything that you do is not to win anything, but it's out of gratitude. And it's out of, again, finding that place. What is my niche? What is my calling? How am I going to leave an impact on this world? And I don't care what it says on my tombstone when I die. You know, the Bible talks about how you can store up riches in this world and moth and rust are going to destroy. Jesus said, but lay up your treasures in heaven where wrath rot, and must where rust and moth cannot touch them and stuff. And there's things, there are things, guys, that we don't realize. There are things that you do. There are people that you've touched that you may not ever even know it until you get to heaven. There are things that you've done for the Lord that you think are no big deal, but the Lord says, man, I saw that. He gave a cup of cold water to a, to a poor person or whatever. You know what I'm saying? And again, it's not, we're not doing these things to... to to satisfy anything. We're not doing these things to be anything, to appear to be anything. It's we're doing these things out of gratitude and Lord, what do you want me to do? What have you created me to be? And that's what God wants. He wants a people that are going to say, what is my calling? What is my purpose? Why am I here? Because that's, that's when we have true fellowship with him, right? Remember how Adam walked with God in the day, you know, God, he walked with God and he talked with God? That's when you're walking with God and you're talking with God, when you're like, Lord, what are we doing here? What, what is your purpose? What is your calling on my life? I want to step into that. And so the Bible says that no soldier who is engaged in active duty entangles himself in the affairs of the world. And again, so many times we get caught up in the things of the world and, and, and we still, even as believers and even as people are trying to follow the Lord as much as we can, we still, I do, find myself getting caught up in these stupid things that don't amount to anything. I mean, I, I watched a movie on Netflix not too long ago and I'm like, why did I watch this movie? It has added nothing to my life, right? The kinds of movies that you used to watch before you got saved, you know, where you go out and you shoot them all up and stuff and it makes you feel like a man and stuff, but it doesn't make you a man, right? It's when you step into what God has called you to be and you're doing what he has called you to do, that's when you're truly a man. 
And, and so we, again, and it's just, a, you know, it's just a deception of Satan. You know, it's still that residue from the old life. Oh, I still, you know, I still like to watch these movies. And I'm not saying that it's a sin and I'm not condemning anybody. I'm not telling anybody to stop doing anything or to start doing anything or anything like that. I'm just let the Lord speak to you. And I'm just saying, in my personal life, I realize how much time is wasted on things that are not going to last. Yeah. Things that are going to fade away. Things that will never be remembered. And, and, you know, the Bible talks about, I believe that there are levels of blessing in heaven. Um, I don't know that, that there are really streets of gold and mansions for everyone and stuff like that. But God sees the things that we do and there will be blessing for the things that we do in his name. Right? Just like the parable of the talents. It says to the one who had five, he gave him five more. Right? And he says that the one who has, more will be given to him. But the one who does not have, even what he thinks he has will be taken away from him. And so God is in the rewarding business. But we're not going to see it on this side of life, maybe, right? As a matter of fact, I mean, the thing is, is think about believers right now in China who are still underground. Mm -hmm. Believers in Africa who are being killed by Muslim extremists who are being beheaded every single day. Their lives right now in the here and now do not look like, you know, this yeah. is a good thing. But these people, how much farther... In the reward system, are people like that going to be the me? Yeah. You know, who who get who get mad at people when they cut me off in traffic? You know, so how dare you? You know, and stuff. And, and it's like these people are laying down their lives and stuff. Or even just the people that we're we're around every day that that love the Lord, that are spending time in His Word, that are spending time in prayer, that are seeking to know Him and stuff. And instead of instead of wasting Hours watching stupid television and stuff. Maybe spend some hours in the Word, you know, getting to know Him and stuff. Um, it's to hard too when you're, uh, you know, when you're in the world, like how you have to plan for those high leverage activities that are, you know, we know they're important. Fellowship, study, worship, prayer, all those things. Yeah. But if you don't plan for it and you don't set aside time, in your day to do it and on purpose do it then your day will be filled up with like little things that seem urgent yeah. that you have to do right away that aren't really that important in the grand scheme of things yeah. you know or it's easy to waste 10 minutes here 10 minutes there look at this video look at that video play this game YouTube. play that game YouTube a couple times right yeah. you know yeah. and next thing you know it's like day's over and you didn't get yeah. yeah. Yeah, you have to be intentional, you, right? That's what you were talking about. That's what I've noticed too. Like already, you know, it's just hard to, yeah, it's hard to get everything done. Yeah, you know, when, unless you plan for it. I think the uh, the biggest time robber for this generation is social media. Yeah, because when I grew up, when I was a teenager, there was nothing of that. Yeah, I mean, there was no nothing. Yeah. Yeah, my boy Austin. And now, and now it's like you're bombarded with Twitter, yeah. Facebook, and if you try to keep up with all that stuff, forget it. it. It's an animal that you can't tame. Yeah. It's overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah, I was saying it's created a generation, and I can see it, and I even feel it, the influence, you know, of it, just mm -hmm. personally in my own life, but it's created the generation of the most selfish people in the history of this earth. Um, who basically have 
a, a personality that they have created that other people either approve of or disapprove of. Yeah. And with enough approval, you know, enough likes or enough followers or something like that, there comes a certain sense of fulfillment and satisfaction that yeah, right. never before was available to, to a human being yeah. other than those in high power. Yeah. So mm -hmm. it, everybody can be their own little, you know, talk of the town, you know, whatever it is that they want to be. Like, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and just the, like, the, uh, the, over, the emotional or the mental overload stuff, you know, and stuff. It's, scientists would say it's addicting. Yeah. And you yeah. you can act because you know just like you say like when we were kids you could go out in, in the woods and just spend like yeah. hours you know just I thinking mean, or you know playing or whatever and stuff now it's like people have to have you know okay I'll send that video now this and they're jumping and ju jumping mm -hmm. to all these things and because of it people aren't able to concentrate you know people aren't able to focus on the things of God people aren't able to to meditate or, or to think about anything right. for any kind of length of time and stuff and I, I think it's definitely a trap from Satan. It really is. Dude, that's, that's why when you get into Freedom House, all your technology is taken away. Yeah, I've, I I've like, people have withdrawals, man. Well, at first, you know, I was like, that's probably going to be the hardest part because I was a pretty committed, like, you know, three-screen guy. You know, tablet, your laptop, your phone, it's on you know, all times. And you know, I was like, how am I going to do this? <laughs> and then, you know, you can see exactly the methodology for it because it allows you to slow down, yeah. actually have some human interaction. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and then you start to realize that hey, there's a lot more value in actually having conversations mm -hmm. and not being tethered to a device that gives you like little thirty second clips all the time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Alright, let's look at uh first John chapter two. Verse 15. He says, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Verse 17. The world is passing away, and also its lusts, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. And so again, like, I, you know, when you're a kid, like, any time a Camaro comes by or something, you're like, oh, and stuff. And, yeah. You know, or, or, you know, you look at cars or houses and stuff, and that's like, man, I'd love to live in that house and stuff. And it's like, you know, I want the Lord just to, to change my focus, to change my mindset, which is kind of cool about where I work because I drive cars in and out all day. I have Teslas, Mercedes, all the time and stuff, just really expensive cars. And it's like, you know, they all drive the same at the end of the day and stuff, you know. And that's the thing, but, but it's like even even as believers a lot of times we're still so caught up in these things like you buy a car and for the first like six months you you, you park way out in the in the field, you know, so that no one will scratch your car and stuff. Like like my wife used to be that way. We we, we she got that uh, we got a Honda Odyssey and like at first she used to just baby it and stuff and just like, oh, don't scratch it and stuff. And now it's got this huge dip in the back where someone just ran into the car and didn't stop or anything, you know, probably in a parking lot or something. And, and it's like, but that's the way we are, you know, and stuff. And it's like, we, we, we're attracted. It's just like a kid, man. Like a kid gets these cool gifts on Christmas and stuff and they play with them for about three hours and stuff and then, you know, and then like 
then they walk away from them and don't play for, with them again for days and stuff. And, you know, that's the way we are. We think that we want these things. And we think that there's these things that we've got to have. But these things are fading away. Yeah, and again, but if you notice, that, that is the media and society yeah. making you believe that you right. need this stuff. Right. That's why commercials do so well. Yeah. Because you sit down to watch a commercial, before you know it, they sold you on it. Yeah. You're like, oh my God, I don't have that. And then you feel like inadequate, like, well, you need to have that right. in order to feel fulfilled. Yeah. And so, so and, and again, you know, I mean, we all have to drive cars and, you know, we don't want to drive something that's falling apart. <laughs> You know, and stuff yeah. like that. And, and so, you know, I'm just saying that, you know, there's balance, you know, and that those things aren't what's important. What's important is what we're doing for the Lord. Um, turn to Hebrews chapter 12. you guys know about the book of Hebrews, if you read Hebrews 11, it talks about all these mighty men and women of faith who do all these awesome things for the Lord. God's Hall of Fame. Exactly. You know, and stuff, and all these people. And, and that's the thing. What do we want to be? Do we want to just be someone that just lives our life and stuff? Or, yeah. or would it be cool? Would it be awesome to be... You know, and the Bible even talks about, like, sometimes it'll just mention one person... Just in a little verse, this person did this thing, you know, for the Lord or whatever. And that's all, that's the only mention of him in the whole Bible and stuff. Yeah. It's like, do, how do we want our lives to be, you know, the, the focus is a lot of times is like, I want to be remembered on my grave cell, right? This person loved his kids. This person was a good person, blah, blah, blah. Had a good job, blah, blah, blah. And, stuff. and that's the way we want to be remembered a lot of times. But the Lord wants us to change our focus in that. How does God remember me, right? How does the Lord, when the Lord looks at my life, how does he think about my life? You know what I'm saying? I mean, are there things that, that I do and have done and that I'm doing that the Lord looks at and goes, and that he smiles, you know? I mean, I, I, I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life when, when I would do something that I, I would literally feel like the Lord was smiling yeah. at that point, you know? And that's what, you know, that's, you can't buy that, right? I mean, it's awesome to make your kids smile. It's awesome to do things for the world and stuff like that. But again, these things are fading away. The things that last are the things that make the Lord smile. And in Hebrews 12, after it talks about all these heroes of faith and stuff, and in verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, and I think that's awesome, man, all these people in the Bible, you know, the Bible talks about in, in James chapter 2, I think it is, that Elijah, the prophet Elijah, who called down fire on 150 people and it just smoked them up. Mm -hmm. The man that, that God took to heaven in a whirlwind, he didn't even die, God took him straight to heaven. It says he was a man just like me. Right? He had weaknesses like I did. He thought like I did. He, he had failures. He had limitations. But he, he overcame them. It says Elijah was a man just like us. And stuff. It says Jesus, is, as a high priest, knows how to sympathize with our weaknesses because he has experienced the same things as us. When Jesus came to earth, it says he laid aside his godhood. Jesus didn't have extra help to overcome sin. 
right? He laid aside all of his powers for himself, right? The only powers that Jesus had was powers for other people, right? To heal other people, to cast demons out of other people. He had no extra power to keep him from sinning. So when Jesus faced temptation, when Jesus faced opposition to sin, he faced it in the same exact way as you or I, right? So therefore, we have no excuse when we say, I'm only human, or I'm, you know, I did it because of this, right? We are a generation that doesn't take responsibility for anything. It wasn't my fault. It was that woman you gave me. It's because my dog pooped on the carpet. It's because my job sucks. It's because my boss hates me. It's because of this, because of that. No, it's because of me. It's because of me. And when we come face to face with that, that's when the Lord can begin to work in our hearts. And in Hebrews 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, do you ever think about that? Do you, do you realize that we are on a stage? Do you realize that Moses, that Abraham, that Elijah, that all those holy men and Sarah, the women of God, watch our lives and they're cheering us on? I mean, do you ever think about that? I, and again, I used to, I used to kind of think, well, whenever I fall or, or stumble, and, and we all stumble, we all fall. But whenever I fall or stumble, I would think like, oh man, the angels are watching me, or you know, this cloud of witnesses are like going, look at this disgusting human piece of whatever and stuff. But it's not that way at all. They are there whenever we're following the Lord, whenever we're doing what we are called to do. They are cheering us on, right? It's like when you go to the race and you're running and you've got your people in the stands that are cheering for you. These people are cheering for us. And when we're following the Lord, they're urging us on. They're saying, come on, do it, do it, right? And so it says, we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us. It says, let us also lay aside every encumbrance. So there's encumbrances, things which aren't sin, right? Things which may be even good things but they tie us down from doing what God has called us to do, right? And it can be, again, good things. It can be, let's go to a movie. Well, God wants me to spend time with him right now, right? Or let's read a book. Well, God wants me to read his word right now. You know what I'm saying? And so these aren't bad things. Encumbrances can be good things, but it's not what God is wanting you to do right now. It says, let us leave, lay aside every encumbrance and also the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You see that? And so again, there are a multitude, and here's the thing, Satan will, for, for though, when you start following the Lord, when you, when you have decided that you're going to not walk in sin, you're not going to walk in the ways that you used to walk in, well, then Satan will bring other things to, to entangle you, right? He'll bring good things. Anything that Satan can do to get you to not follow what God has called you to do, he will do, right? We always think that, well, Satan wants me to be a meth addict or Satan wants me in a crack. Well, that's not necessarily true. Yeah. Uh, it's like, if, say, like you're, say like you're a battleship. The battleship has a rudder. That, that turns it, right? And that rudder is comparatively small to that ship. That ship weighs thousands of pounds. That rudder is comparatively small, but you turn it just a little bit and that ship can be way off course. And that's what Satan tries to do with us. 
and stuff. So God says, okay, you leave aside the sin, but also leave aside the encumbrances, the things that are good things, the things like when, and we all have faced them. Like you get this urge sometimes to read your Bible and stuff. It's like, yeah, let me see what's on television, right? Or you, you, or you sometimes even going to church, it's like, you know what? I just don't feel like doing it today. You know, every time I don't go to church, like Amy will come back or somebody that has gone to the service will go, man, that's the best service I've ever been to. <laughs> it's, like, it's like that every time when I mess, you know, and stuff. And that's the thing. Or even say like Bible study and things like that. It's like, yeah, you know, I've had a hard day. I think I'm just going to relax and stuff like that. And it's like all these things... Again, Satan doesn't necessarily need us in the crack and he need us in the drugs if he can just get us from doing what God has called us to do. So, um, so I wanted to just talk about some things that real men do. And in 2 Timothy chapter 2, we were there earlier, we're going to see what biblical men... Now, the thing is, is... You think about the apostles, Peter and John. They were sailors, right? What are sailors? What are sailors known for? Fishermen. Well, they're known for that, but they're they're known for cussing, right? They're rough people, prostitutes, and all these people. Uh, all the rough people were attracted to Jesus, right? Prostitutes followed him. Uh, tax collectors, um, sailors, and fishermen, and stuff like that. All these working class people that that. You know, it's like we watch these movies about Jesus and they're all like, you know, squeaky clean and stuff like that. But probably the people that followed Jesus weren't like that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. They probably were people that were really rough. They were like the people on Fry Street. But now they're like, they're okay, they're interested in the things of the Lord, but they still got mouth like they're still on Fry Street. Right? right? So they're, they're interested in the things of God, but they still got a lot of rough edges yeah. and stuff. And, and so... That's the way that Jesus was and stuff. And, but he attracted those people. The, we think, again, and that's the world's conception of, of, of Christians. that they're, Well, they're just these kind of limp-wristed, you know, don't have an opinion. They're just kind of weak and, you know, they got to go to church because they got to get this need and stuff like that. And they're, you know, because they don't cuss, they're weak. I, I've had people say to me, why don't you cuss and stuff? They're, you know, and so my, my dad taught me to cuss at a young age. Well, I was cussing at a young age too, but it didn't make me a man. Doing drugs doesn't make you a man. Getting drunk doesn't make you a man. Chasing skirts doesn't make you a man. What makes you a man is finding out who you have been created to be and following that. That's when you're truly a man. So, um, and in 2 Timothy 2, uh, real men study the Word. Verse... Uh, Chapter, verse 15. Paul is telling Timothy, he said, and Timothy again was a young man, he says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. And so, you know, if, say, if you were in prison and someone, say like your wife or someone that really loved you, wrote a letter to you, what would you do with that letter? You would read it from, yeah, you probably read it front to back, back to front, upside down, all over, right? And you treasure that. Well, that's in the same way. Jesus has left the earth, but he left us a letter. 
And I'm amazed at how many of us never read the Word of God or have read very little of it. I've known people who read the Harry Potter books. I don't know how many there are, six or seven of them. This thick, how many? Wow. Wow. They've read every Harry Potter book, but they've never read the Bible. And stuff. And the thing is, is as believers, and especially men, a lot of our our understanding of the Bible is from what people have taught us. So we're getting we're getting our our knowledge of Jesus kind of secondhand. Does that make sense? Yeah. Through through teaching or through other people telling us what. But God has so designed it that we get into it and we read it as his love letter to us. And when we begin to read it, when we begin to get into it, and it's hard at first. The Bible is, as Thomas, Thomas knows, the Bible is difficult to read. It's difficult to understand. But it's just like anything. When you, when you start any kind of a new sport or when you start welding, at first, you're really, really bad at it. Yeah. But the more you put into it, the more it begins to make sense to you. The more it begins to click, the more it begins to, oh, hey, this works. And then you begin to delight in it. Because then you begin to get stuff out of it that's like, wow, that just blows my mind. And God begins to speak to you through it. And so and it's like even, say, just using me for an example, the reason why I am a teacher of the Word of God is because when God saved me, I, I just wanted to read the Bible. I wanted to read the Bible. I just wanted to read it from cover to cover. I wanted to read the whole Bible. I wanted to read it over and over again. I wanted to read it, read it again, read it again. And so I wanted to study the Bible, not so that I could teach it, not so that, you know, I had no idea that I would ever teach it, but I wanted to read it because I wanted to know who God was through his word. I wanted him to give me firsthand information. I didn't want to learn about God from my preacher. And there are so many conflicting viewpoints on certain doctrines and certain things of God. Well, I am not going to be satisfied with somebody telling me what that is. I mean, it's good. It's good to have people tell you what it is. It's good to go to commentaries. It's good to have input, and we need that and stuff. But I want to read it for myself, right? And the thing about the Bible is, is until you've... It's like when you read all of the Bible, then it starts creating a whole, right? Like say, say just uh, any, just any doctrine, like the doctrine, just like we were talking about wives submitting to your husbands. Well, you can read those scriptures that we read in uh, Ephesians, right? If that's all you read, and that's all that you know about, you know, men and women and their relationships, then then you're not going to be complete, right? But when you, when you know that, well, there's another verse in 1 John that's talking about male-female relationships. I go to Bible in Genesis when it talks about Adam and Eve and how Eve came out of Adam and how Adam loved his wife and stuff like that. And you read all these scriptures and when all these scriptures combine, then you begin to get a complete whole picture of what God is talking about in, in that matter. Does that make sense? Like, uh, like if you take the scripture and, and I don't... I, in the King James, it says, you know, thou shalt not murder. Well, in the first place, that's not what it says. It says, thou shalt not kill. But if you just take that one verse, what does that mean? It's like, well, does that mean that I can't even kill an animal to eat, right? Or say, or, or say like, if someone uh, breaks into a house and murders and rapes people and stuff like that, I guess we can't kill them either, right? 
So if you take one verse or if you take one portion of Scripture, you are never going to get a complete whole of what God is speaking on that subject. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so, so we as men, God is calling us as men to read and to know and to understand, to be diligent in the things of God. Just like Paul told Timothy, be diligent with the Word of God. And the study to show yourselves approved and stuff, because it's only, this is our only guide, right? There, I, 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 I watch YouTube videos about churches and doctors and all this weird, whacked out stuff from left field. And it was, where is that from? Where's the scripture that you get that from? Well, it's not from scripture. This is just what God spoke to me. Well, God spoke to Joseph Smith through the angel Moroni, and now we got the, the Mormons and stuff, right. right? So God can come to you and say that I'm an alien or something like that. Or give you, and people do it every single day. But the reason why is because it's not based on what God's word says. God is number one, speaks to us through his word, not through our emotions, not through what, well, brother so-and-so says, or not through any other thing, but through his word. And we cannot know for sure what God is saying if we don't know his word. And that's where people get led astray to every wind of doctrine. It's like, I, I talk to people all the time where, where like they'll, one day they'll be talking about a certain doctrine and they'll be all for it and stuff like that. And the next time you talk to them, they're completely against it based on other scriptures and stuff. It's like, you've got to come to a complete hole on this. You've got to understand what God is saying on this. And if we as men do not understand the word of God, if we don't know who God is through his word and what he's truly like, we're not going to be able to lead. Right? And again, God has called us to lead. Adam wasn't able to lead because what? Doubt came into his mind. Eve says, hey, this fruit's good. Instead, Adam should have stood on the word of God. What did God say? Do not eat from that tree. That was the word of God. He didn't stand on the word of God, and so they got destroyed, right? And so men of God know the word of God. Men of God spend time in the word of God. And again, it's difficult at first, but the more you put into it, I promise you, you will begin to get out of it and stuff. And, and you know, and there are helps. There are helps that help you. People, even if you can't read, they got the Bible on them, MP3s and stuff. You can listen to it and stuff. So, I mean, uh, again, we spend so much time doing other things. I'm telling you, the Word of God is awesome. It's better than any movie because there are so many twists and turns and plots and people backstabbing each other and, and, and you know, the book of Revelation and God pouring out His wrath. And, there are awesome things in the Word of God that we do not know because we don't seek them out. Jeremiah 33, 3 says, Call unto me, and I will show you great and mighty things which you do not know. That will never happen until we get in the Word of God. Because we can easily be seduced by voices unless we're grounded in the Word. Right? So again, as, as men of God,